Bernie Radio, 103.9 FM, just after 9 o'clock. Good morning. Coming up at 9.30 is Building Texas with Justin McKenzie. Thank you so much for making an appointment to hear this inspiring show, God and Our Dogs with Meg Greer. The following is sponsored by GodandOurDogs.com, and this is Bernie Radio. I'm Judith Rivers, who, along with my husband, Dwayne, formed the Rivers team with the Phyllis Browning Company. The Rivers team possess a deep understanding of both residential and ranch properties. The Rivers team pride ourselves in providing client personalized service from the initial listing meeting to staging and photography to marketing and even to the final negotiations. The Rivers team reinvents real estate with luxury concierge at your service. Find us at theriversteam.com. Discover a new perspective. God and our dogs. God and our Welcome to God and Our Dogs with Meg Greer. Join us online at GodandOurDogs.com. Subscribe, share, and stay. Now here's your host, Meg Greer. Welcome to God and Our Dogs. This is Meg Greer, your host. Our vision on God and Our Dogs is discovering a new perspective and rely on God the way our dogs rely on us. How does it happen? The same way our other relationships grow, spending time together, learning about one another, developing trust, and experiencing transformation. Dog stories told on the show reveal God in new ways. We look in the mirror of our dogs. In the reflection, we find aha moments, bringing to light a deeper understanding of love, value, purpose, and belonging. Find us at GodInOurDogs.com. Click follow on the God and Our Dogs page on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast site and on YouTube, where you will find bonus material from our guests. Thanks to our host, Tusculum Brewing Company, on Bernie's Historic Main Street, a great place to enjoy family, food, and Tusculum craft beer. Tusculum Brewing welcomes our dogs, too. Our guest today is Dennis Blocker. He is a war dog trainer and handler. He trains dogs for explosive and drug detection, patrol tactics, trailing, and scouting. He is the author of three books about his experiences, The Dogs I've Known in Two Wars, Iraq and Afghanistan, and a new book scheduled for release in December of 2023, Remember Us. Because of the bond developed with his many dogs, they would introduce Dennis by saying, meet my dad. Dennis Blocker, welcome to God and Our Dogs. We're so happy to have you. Thank you, Meg. Thank you so much. Well, and I have to tell our listeners that you were really my first official guest in August of 2021. It's been an honor to get to know you better over the last year. And last year we focused on training. And for our listeners who would like to listen to that show, it's number 102 on the God and Our Dogs website or your favorite podcast site. Well, Dennis, you told me frequently that you get asked questions about dog life in the war zone. And so let's answer some of those questions today for our listeners. What do you think? I think it's a good idea. Awesome. Well, the first three points that you told me about kind of overlap with the show from last year. So we'll just touch on those briefly. And you told me that was how to select the dogs that you train, how long you train them, and what kind of breeds are used most often. 
Yes. Uh, the dogs that we're looking for are usually between 18 months and 24 months of age. We tried at some point, and I know others who try, to train dogs at an earlier age, and they find that when they're in puppy age, they want to chase butterflies, grasshoppers, lizards, squirrels, and they get distracted very easily. So the norm is that most canine training academies, people who are trained dogs, look for 18 to 24 months of age. And the breeds that uh, we're normally looking for are the working dog breeds. And that would be the German Shepherds, the Belgian Malinois, the Labs, and the German Short-Haired Pointers. Uh, these dogs are working dogs, and we're looking for that dog that has a lot of drive and hunt, meaning that dog will do anything to get that ball, which uh -huh. is their toy. And that's how we reward the dogs. That's how I reward my dogs with a toy, either a ball, a large ball, or a Kong. And that you can throw it into the edge of a woods in a large brush, and the dog will jump in that brush and take both its paws and pull through that brush, pushing the brush away to get to that ball. He's not or she's not going to let anything stop him or her from getting that ball. That's the kind of dog that you want to train for either drug detection, explosive detection. Uh, if you're looking for a dog for patrol tactics, a dog that's going to be looking for. If you were training a dog for a police agency or the war efforts, wherever there might be a war, that you want that dog <clears throat> not to be one who's intimidated by sounds uh, such as gunfire. Uh -huh. But you want a dog yeah. who's going to be, or explosions, who's going to go forward and uh, complete the mission of they're really getting that focused. bad person. They're really focused. Yeah, I can see that would be a major asset. Now, I remember last year you told us that you used a lot of Belgian Malinois in Iraq and <laughs> Afghanistan. And since that show, I've talked with other law enforcement canine handlers, and they also use Belgian Malinois. What's so attractive about that breed? I really hate to take away from the German Shepherd, but I can only speak from experience. Uh, German Shepherds are extremely intelligent. German Shepherds are very loyal. And the German Shepherd, however, I found being in Iraq and Afghanistan that between the German Shepherd and the Belgian Malinois, the Belgian Malinois would last longer in the heat than mm. the German mm. Shepherd would. And, when I, and what I'm saying is that they wouldn't shut down completely You'd have to watch your handler and remind your handler, keep an eye on your dog, make sure your dog's hydrated, encourage your dog to keep working. But you could see the German Shepherds were slowing down, whereas the Belgian Malinois would go, 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 go. Mm -hmm. uh, they eventually get tired, but they last seem to last longer than the German Shepherds. You know, one question that I've got that we haven't really talked about is I know a lot of hunting dogs wear boots depending upon where they're going, like especially if there are a lot of graspers and that kind of thing. And in thinking about the terrain in Iraq and Afghanistan, did you ever consider your dogs wearing boots in those conditions? We did. And then we were told by a veterinarian that we should really shy away from putting boots on the dogs. The only place a dog can sweat is in its paws. Ah, okay. And if you have boots on it for eight hours, uh, that sweat becomes bacteria. I can't. Okay. And it can cause an infection, irritation mm -hmm. to the dog's paws. And if the dog gets an infection in the paws, then now you got a dog who can't perform uh, either as a police dog or a war dog or just your dog. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's going to have to have, be treated by a veterinarian and it's going to be down. It cannot perform. Uh huh. So it's a little bit different. I've heard some people, especially with bird hunting, that will rotate their dogs on 15 to 30 minute rotations, depending on how hot it is. 
And especially if you're hunting someplace that's cold, it's definitely not the same kind of conditions that those war dogs are in. So how do you feed a dog in a war zone? Uh, well, actually, it's you try not to feed your dog before you actually go out. You don't want them eating and getting full before you're going to go out for that, that day mm -hmm. because they're going to get lazy, like most people do, Yeah. when you get a full stomach. So we waited usually until the end of the shift. We'd go in, make sure their kennels are okay. There's no snakes or scorpions or anything like that, spiders in their kennel. And then fill their water bucket up. We would always take the water bucket, and I'd hang it upside down, let it air out, and then check it to make sure there's nothing, no insects inside the bucket. Then fill the bucket up, attach it to with a hook on the kennel wall, the, the fencing, and then get their food for them. Mm -hmm. And once a day. We only feed them once a day. I see. And we were using science diet, if I can say that or not. And how about medical care? Do they need a lot of care? Uh, when the dogs go over, I'm referring to Iraq or Afghanistan, any war, that they're medically taken care of before they go. You want to make sure that they've got all the shots and make sure that they've been checked physically from head to toe. And then any time they need uh, medical care in the field in Afghanistan or Iraq, for an example, in Afghanistan, our local doctors, when I say local, the doctors who are assigned to our FOB, and FOB, the acronym stands for Forward Operation Base, they get a two-week crash course how to treat and how to take care of dogs who are injured. Anything that's significantly extreme as far as injuries, so like a gunshot wound or shrapnel, and it involves internal organs, uh, something that's an emergency, we put them on a Black Hawk and fly them to Kandahar, which is about a 30-minute flight, 45-minute mm -hmm. flight from our FOB through the mountains to Kandahar. Mm -hmm. And then there, a full staff of veterinarian doctors and technicians would take care of the dogs. Wow. In order for the dogs to stay in the best health, how long are their shifts? How long do they work? That really depends on the climate, the, the weather, the temperatures. As an example, that if it was 125 degrees, 120 degrees, uh, 115 degrees, uh, we'd work. I had seven teams in Iraq and, four, I'm sorry, seven teams at one checkpoint, seven teams at another checkpoint, and 21 dogs I had in the mountains of Afghanistan. And we would always make sure in those extreme hot conditions, the dogs would work 15 at the most 20 minutes, and then they would be relieved by another dog. And that's the reason we have so many teams at a checkpoint. So mm -hmm. if you got seven teams, then you give uh, that team that's working in extreme heat, uh, say 15 minutes, get them off post, have a new team come in and uh -huh. do the same thing over and over and over. Yes. Uh, in the colder weather, in the colder months, uh, in Iraq or Afghanistan, say from December to end of January, it gets pretty cold and you could work 30 minutes, mm -hmm. 35 minutes, 40 minutes. So total about how many minutes a day? I never really figured that out. Oh, okay. Didn't mean to give you a stumper there. <laughs> yeah, I've never sat down and calculated the numbers. <laughs> yeah, so maybe a couple of hours? Yeah, maybe a couple hours. Okay, <clears throat> yeah. Well, that makes great sense. And it's a relief to know that the dogs get rotated out just like a hunter would rotate out his dogs if he's going to be on a long mm -hmm. hunt. That's, that's really cool to know. Okay, well, before we get into more of the details of living with dogs in a war zone, I'd like to tell you, Dennis, and our listeners about our sponsors and website. God and Our Dogs has great sponsors. Please thank them when you see them. 
Branscombe Law, the Rivers Team with Phyllis Browning, Kendall County Abstract, and Tusculum Brewing. Because of them, we have a wonderful website, GodnerDogs.com, including my blog and the sign-up for a weekly Thought to Ponder with stories based on my dogs on the Want to Treat page. You can also listen to those Thoughts to Ponder Thursday mornings at 745 and 845 on Bernie Radio 103.9 FM or the Bernie Radio app. Check out the show webpage for our newsletter updates and resources. That's godnardogs.com for lots of treats. Discover a new perspective. God and our dogs. This is Ashley, and this is God and Our Dogs with Meg Greer here on Bernie Radio 103.9 FM. Well, we are back on God and Our Dogs, and this is Meg Greer, your host. Joining us today is Dennis Blocker, war dog trainer and handler. He is also the author of three books, The Dogs I've Known in Two Wars, Iraq and Afghanistan, and Remember Us, a book coming out in December 2023. Well, Dennis has been telling us today about life with dogs in a war zone, and we've covered several uh, issues already. The dog's selection, the breeds that are used, primarily training, feeding, medical care, and working shifts. And Dennis, you're such a font of information that I just wanted to um, ask you a few more questions without, you know, being too much of a fire hose. Tell us a little bit about training. Okay, training uh, is extremely fun. That's where you, as a trainer or a handler, learn a great deal about the dog and different dogs. Because when you're training, normally you're training more than just one dog. If I'm training, I may have 10 dogs I'm working with. And we have five on training for explosives, five for, for drugs, and maybe three for patrol tactics, and maybe one for uh, trailing or scouting. And so you learn a great deal. But I always like starting with an open area search, meaning that I'll put, I'll put something, let's say, for instance, explosive uh, odor. Let's say it's uh, dynamite or ammonia nitrate, which is one of the main explosives used in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I'll put that in a field, and I make sure I get downwind with the dog, and I work crosswind. And what you're doing is setting the dog up for success because somewhere going across that field from left to right, right to left, and going in that direction toward where the explosive was hidden, the dog's going to pick up that odor downwind, and the dog will then zero between two points uh, in this what we call a scent cone, and the dog will take you right to it. Uh, then I like working on vehicle searches. Vehicle searches I like because uh, vehicle searches, I might have 30 cars out there that I'm going to search with a dog. And, of course, you don't search all 30 with a green dog just starting out. You're going to do maybe five or six, seven, eight cars. But eventually, after several weeks, you're going to search 30 vehicles. That dog should be able to search 30 vehicles and not stop. But what I like about the vehicle search is that I'll put a uh, explosive odor inside of a vehicle, and again, I'll get downwind and work crosswind. And I look at it like where the vehicles are, it's like an open area search, but now you put objects in that open area. Now mm-hmm. you have all these vehicles in there. So I still get downwind and work crosswind. And the dog's gonna show me 
by going up and down these rows of cars, left to right, right to left, he's going to take me or she's going to take me exactly where that explosive odor is at. And then, of course, when you get there, then you want to make sure that you detail and find out exactly where the dog's indicating. Is it in the trunk? Is it in the, under the hood? Is it in the vehicle? Is it in the center of the vehicle? Uh, and these are things you're looking for by watching your dog's change of behavior. And then I like doing building searches. We teach the dogs building searches. We teach the dogs how to search luggage and also packages. And what's really fun about training these dogs on finding these explosives or the drugs is that when the dog goes into, let's say for instance, I'm doing a building search and, and I put an explosive odor to the left of the room in the corner behind a chair. When I go up to the door, I have the door, I have the dog smell, first of all, the steps, the porch area, then I have the dog smell the door seams of the door, smell the doorknob in the event that there's explosive odor on the person's hand Mm. and they touch the doorknob and there's explosive residue on the doorknob, then the dog will sit. Then I know now I've got a situation where uh, the dog's telling me there's explosive odor. Is it on the doorknob or is it on the other side of the door, up on the floor, just out on the other side of the door, on the floor, waiting for me to open the door and blow up? Mm-hmm. So I make the decision, do I go in or do I call EOD, Explosive Ordnance Disposal Team? I don't go in. Yeah. Because I don't yeah, know where it's at. too much risk. So then what you do is you have that explosive odor to the far left in the corner behind a chair or a desk or a filing cabinet. And the dog goes in. He goes to that point. He smells. As soon as he smells, you pop the leash and say, sit. And he sits. Then you throw the ball. And you do that over and over and over and over and over until, and I, when I say over and over and over, you do it until such time that when the dog goes in and sniffs, you want the dog to think for itself and not have you pop the leash and say sit. Yeah. You want the dog to smell the odor, knowing the popping of the leash and the command sit's going to happen. So he's going to try to beat you before the leash is popped and the command sit. So when he sits on his own, now you know you're making progress. Yeah competitive nature. Yes. For sure. So all in all, how much time does it take to train a dog so he or she will be ready to perform in a war zone? Either or, well, it's either a war zone or a police dog, eight to 12 weeks. And I say 12 weeks. It depends on the intelligence of the dog. Some dogs are slower than other dogs. Uh, Like people, for instance, you know, some people learn slower than others. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those. (laughs) I fall in that category. Yeah. <laughs> it takes me a while to learn <laughs> through repetition, conditioning. Uh-huh. So it, it, it takes time. And then it may take longer because you may have somebody who says, well, I want more odors trained on the dog. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it's going to take longer to train the dog. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure every every police department or service depart- related department is a little bit different um, as to what they need and what uh, how to how they need their tr- dog trained. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Wow, Dennis, that is really amazing. There's so many different aspects to all of these jobs these dogs do. Does any one dog do all of these functions, or do you need to train different dogs for different functions? That's a good question. Uh, there are dogs I've trained. Uh, I think of one, his name was Ringo, and Ringo was a big German Shepherd, and we trained him for drug detection, also patrol tactics for attack work. He was also trained in trailing, following human scent. He was trained in uh, trailing and 
he was trained in evidence protection. So if you're looking for a bad guy or a bad girl and they drop something that they were carrying with them, uh, then the dog would drop down, put his paws over that piece of evidence that's on the ground. And if anybody tried to come pick it up other than the handler, the police officer, the dog would growl and, and bark and not allow anybody to touch it because you're dealing with evidence mm-hmm. of, of a crime scene. Wow. And, and so he was trained in several different areas and very talented. Uh, I've had dogs where I think of one, his name was Bombix, and he was a German Shepherd, and he was a great uh, drug detection dog, but training him for bite work, it just well, he didn't have it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he would come and attack me on the arm, bite me in the arm, and it was a half bite, and there was no pressure. Yeah. And it told me that mm, he really doesn't like this. Mm-hmm. So we took him out of that. We yeah. didn't train him for attack work. Yeah. Uh, there are dogs that were fearful of gunfire. Mm-hmm. That you know they didn't didn't want to work. They didn't want to function because of gunfire. So you're not going to send them to a war zone. You're not going to send them to be a police dog. And there are ways to fix that. I'm not going to get into that because it takes longer for the show. Yeah. But that can be fixed. So you have to make a decision as a trainer. Do I try to fix this or do we just make him a pet for somebody and adopt him out? Mm-hmm. Or maybe there's another job. You know, maybe they can search or whatever. Well, see, that's a problem because if they're searching and there's a weapons fire. Oh, okay. I hadn't thought about it Then they're going to shut down. They're not going to search yeah. anymore. Or if there's a backfiring of a car. Oh, wow. Even, okay. So you got to consider all these aspects of what could be introduced during a search. Mm-hmm. If the dog's deathly afraid of loud noises like gunfire or thunder, you know, the dog may just shut down. Yeah. So now you got a dog out there you could, who's supposed to be searching for somebody and now because there was thunder or backfiring of a car or some hunter hunting in the woods off in the distance, Mm -hmm. you know, the dog's not going to function. So just put that dog up for adoption. Yeah. Well, you know, Dennis, this whole conversation really makes me think about God from the standpoint of it's easy to um, think that everybody is the same um, and has the same talents, but that's not what scripture says. Scripture says that we all have our own gifts and talents that God's going to work with us to develop. Kind of sounds like dog trainers and working with dogs to me. Yeah, it, the decisions are made by every trainer that uh, this dog can be used for this, this dog cannot be used for this. And so you're absolutely right. You know, God looks at the world and decides he's going to use this person or he's going to use this person or this person to do this. But not everybody's talented to be a Meg Greer and run a show such as what you're doing. If you gave me the microphone and told me to take over, I'd fall apart. <laughs> well, I'm not <laughs> sure about that. You're pretty confident <laughs> in what you do. But I guess, you know, that really, that's a great example because together we're, we make a great team. And I think that's how God designed the body of Christ, that together we can make a great team because we all have different things that uh, will work together. Like scripture says, you know, you got a hand, you got an arm, you got a leg, you know, it, all these are parts of the body that cause and make the body function properly. But it's, uh, it's amazing to watch, see how God uses people mm-hmm. and for different purposes for his work. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's so true. Well, you know, time goes so fast when we talk about God and our dogs, and we're not really through your whole list of what it's like to work with a dog in a war zone. So we have a special surprise for us and our listeners. 
We're going to make another show to cover all of those things, and we'll just do it next week for the rest. So everybody can listen next week for part two. How does that sound, Dennis? I think it's a great idea. Okay, great. I really do. I love it. But in the meantime, what I'd love for you to do, I want you to tell our listeners how they can find your books. Yes, they can go to my website, dogsoftwowars.com, and then it's a numerical two, and dogsoftwowars.com, or they can go to amazon.com and find my books there. Well, Dennis Blocker, author of uh, The Dogs I've Known in Two Wars, Iraq and Afghanistan, thank you so much for being with us. We really enjoyed it. I've loved it. Thank you so much. Great. Well, before we leave today, I'd like to have a little thought to ponder, and it'll be quick. Yes. That's P-A-W-N-D-E-R. How is your dog relying on you today? Maybe God wants you to rely on him the same way. Email stories at godandourdogs.com. This is Meg Greer, and you have been listening to God and Our Dogs. I appreciate all of you, and thank you for joining us. You can listen to the show again on our website or subscribe on your favorite podcast site. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for show bonuses. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn at God and Our Dogs and click follow. Subscribing and following help the show spread the word about discovering a new perspective to rely on God the way our dogs rely on us. Discover a new perspective. God and Our Dogs. Dogs.com I'm Judith Rivers, who along with my husband, Dwayne, formed the Rivers Team with the Phyllis Browning Company. The Rivers Team possess a deep understanding of both residential and ranch properties. The Rivers Team pride ourselves in providing client personalized service from the initial listing meeting to staging and photography to marketing and even to the final negotiations. The Rivers Team reinvents real estate with luxury concierge at your service. Find us at theriversteam.com.